When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. On today's podcast, we talk numbers, angles, and grass, and play calling at the right time. And joining me to discuss those topics is Coach Jeff Mullen, who Previously coached at OU, Wake Forest, West Virginia, and Charlotte, and now is working in college recruiting. So, Coach, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate the time. Coach, before we get into our topic today, I think it's uh, important that our listeners learn a little bit about you and understand kind of where you've come and how you've, you've uh, progressed through this profession. So, you know, let's start at the beginning for you. Just that uh, very first thought of you saying, you know what, I might want to be a coach as a career. When did that happen, and, and what was the idea for you? Um, junior year in college, um, just had a, a, a position coach come up to me and ask if that might be something I want to do and that he could help. And, of course, in this you know job, everything's a relationship. And I was blessed. I graduated college in 1989. Uh, he made a phone call, got me a, an assistant high school job in the fall of 1990 in Columbus, Ohio, to start you know my career. And then the very next year, that same coach uh, got me a chance to be a graduate assistant at the University of Hawaii. And that's really where everything took off for me. In, in the uh, fall of 1991, I was a, a GA. Um, and, and Paul Johnson was the offensive coordinator, um, you know, the, the former head coach at, at Navy and Georgia Tech, you know, the, the flex phone guy. And that's really where I, you know, learned and cut my teeth on, you know, how to attack defense and, and, and understand, you know, this theory of numbers, angles, and graphs. That allowed me from uh, UH to go to Ohio U through connections as a GA, um, and then Jim Grove gets hired in the fall of 1994 when I'm at Ohio University. And his first hire was the O-line coach from UH, Mike Seawalk, who also spent some time, a lot of time with, uh, with Coach Johnson. Um, and, and Mike hired me as his uh, B-back coach. And, you know, that was my first job. I think it was the fall of 1995. And uh, we were we were fortunate. We just hung on to Jim Grobe for for many years. I think we were together 13 or 14 seasons. We we finally turned Ohio U around, uh, got the Wake Forest job in the fall of 2000. Uh, coached there from 2000 to 2007 as the quarterback coach. In uh, 2008, 
Bill Stewart got the West Virginia job. He was great friends with Jim Grobe and Coach Stewart, uh, rest in peace, a uh, great man, uh, hired me as his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Um, he was let go in 2010, and we got the job at Charlotte starting that program. What a great opportunity in the fall of 11 and 12 to build a program. And uh, from that point to 2017, we were at UNC Charlotte. So four four big jobs, about 25-plus years, and it was a blast. Coach, you mentioned some in- incredible coaches there, Paul Johnson, Jim Grove, Bill Stewart. I'm sure there's been – a ton of influences on you besides those guys. But when you look back at the guys who really influenced uh, what developed into your coaching philosophy and the things you believe and the way you went about your job, um, what were some of those important things that you learned early on that stayed with you throughout your career? Well, Paul, the, the, the midline inside gear guys, right, they got about five, six core play calls, and, and they're going to they're gonna get them called first into the right numerical advantage. Um, and then they talk about the, you know, when they, when they pick the right numerical advantage side, uh, you know, which is basically away from, you know, run support, um, they get into the angles within the box. What's the best blocking angle, you know, from tackle to tackle? So numbers – and then angles, and of course the option guys. If all things being equal, they go to the wide side of the field or the grass. And and I, that's that's a philosophy that that stuck with me, um, to this day. It was actually though Troy Calhoun, the current head coach at the Air Force Academy. He was our quarterback coach at Ohio U, and and he took us from Ohio U to Wake Forest the first two years at Wake he transitioned us from that flex bone system into more of a traditional um, 10 and 11 personnel, which you're seeing, you know, all over the country today system. But we maintain the same philosophy of getting the play run into the right numerical advantage. And then after picking that side, get the best blocking angles. And that's really the driving force that led us to, you know, any success we ever had. I, I definitely credit Coach Calhoun on that. Um, when we became an offensive coordinator, we ran with that, changed some things, changed some verbiage, um, you know, uh, put our stamp on it. But, but g- genuinely it was, you know, Paul Johnson and Mike Seawalk with the flex bone theory and then Troy Calhoun uh, making it a more traditional set. Coach, as you look at that influence early on, um, you know, for you it was the, the flex bone. And with that, you know, I've, I've found this to be true. For me, it was the wing T, right? So I learned early on the wing T and certainly progressed on doing, you know, in, in my experience, a, a lot of uh, some 10, but a lot of 11, 12, 21. But as I went back to and, and would always look after the season, the things I was doing, like, wow, it's, this still really has a wing T flavor to it. Might not look like it, but the principles are still there. For you, has that flex bone uh, philosophy mentality really stayed with you, even though you guys became a spread 10 and 11 team? Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, again, the backbone. I, in my opinion, I think offensive coaches – the first section of their playbook needs to be defensive ID. How do we as a staff uh, look at a defensive front, whether it's odd or even, open or closed coverage? How are we defining that? How are we communicating that? And, and how does that direct 
you know, our play calling. I, I think I think that's an essential part of any offensive system. And I think a lot of young offensive coaches jump immediately to all the cool play calls mm-hmm. and, and skip, in my opinion, what's the most important part of it is attacking defense. And, and again, for, from, from the, the flex bone guys and, and the, you know, the inside your midline guys, that's, that's all they do is ID defense on every play. Right. And, uh, you know, that's definitely the backbone of what we try to do. So, Coach, I, I see that in a lot of playbooks and have a shelf full of them behind me from just about every level. And, and a lot of those teams that I know who did a really good job on offense start exactly like that and have this huge section full of the different ways they're going to identify a defense. Now, I can say that in a lot of those, you, you get lost a little bit because there's there's so much terminology. In what ways have you been able to simplify that ID system for uh, defenses? Defense is, is two things, right? It's recognition and reaction. Uh, a defensive coordinator will try and, you know, have his kids recognize a certain personnel group, uh, formation and alignment, play a percentage in their head on run pass or what kind of run or what kind of pass, right? And then, and then they snap the ball and, and they have to react to their read keys and attack the ball. So defense at its core, simply recognition and reaction. And, and the other thing about defense that's a fundamental truth th- throughout every year is that, you know, there's an odd number of defenders. I know that sounds easy, but, you know, basically there's four defensive linemen, right? Even in an odd front, you've got a reduction side. And, and, and so 70%, 80% of the time, there's simply four defensive linemen. There, there's two corners, two safeties, all even numbers, right? Well, for us in our system, it's that third linebacker. That's that's the strength of their defense, the, the Sam linebacker, the nickel spur, whatever you want to call him. And so what we've been able to do really in our defensive ID system is to pare it all down into what we call the triangle based upon primarily that, that odd-numbered linebacker, that, that odd-numbered DB, that nickel spur, in relationship with the two safeties. And their alignment on every play should tell you whether the ball should be given into the box or, or thrown to the perimeter. Um, that's about as simple as you can talk about it on a podcast, but, but right. really our front ID section is only a few pages long. So taking that then, Coach, and, and looking at you know our, our theme today, uh, the numbers, angles, and grass, your, your approach to being able to attack the defense with – those three components. Uh, talk to us about how you set that up. Well, the numerical advantage again is 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 we're going to run away or throw away from run support. If in your head you can picture an a let's say an eleven personnel traditional H back sniffer set, you've got six blockers, five O linemen in the H. And we're not talking quarterback run or option plays. I'm just talking general power counter zone runs. Okay. Um, most defenses are going to play six on six in the box. There, there isn't a defensive coordinator in the country that's not going to defend the A, B, and C gap on both sides of the ball, right? And they're going to do it with a three-four defense, a three-three defense, or a four-two defense. And they, in those numbers, they're going to take six defenders with primary responsibility to defend those gaps. Those guys are not part of our numerical advantage. Those guys are part of the box and the angles that the O-line must negotiate. 
if you take the corners out of it, that's eight defenders that are off the board. For my quarterback and my play caller, I want them to specifically look at the two high safeties in the nickel spur. In short, if the two high safeties are in an open coverage, we should have a good six-on-six play call, power, counter, zone, whatever it is, right? If the two D-got defenders are basically the corners, you're going to rush for a lot of yards with with a good numerical advantage of six-on-six, right? The numbers advantage in offense are when things are equal. If you can imagine those two high safeties spinning weak into the boundary, so that the boundary safety is now in the box, the field safety's over the ball, and the nickel spurs out outside leverage of number two. Now what you want to do is you want to either run or pass to the to the field, to, to the slot receiver side, and take advantage of the two-on-two. The seven-on-six um, defender, the I'm here, the fit player is now weak, so we want to run strong. We want to throw strong. Our numerical advantage is not seven on six in the box or two on one week. It's two on two to the field. And and likewise, if the nickel spur from the field were to get in the box and create the seventh hat, the two safeties were to spin strong, then we would want to run or throw weak to the one-on-one into the boundary X. And on a podcast, that's difficult to talk about, but it basically is that simple. Those three defenders help our play caller and our quarterback to get the right play on at the right time. Coach, in, in looking at the plays, you know, before we got going, you mentioned a limited set of, of plays, a limited number of calls that you're going to take into a game as well. And we can draw up, you know, for whatever it might be, attacking those six in the box or two on two um, to the field, uh, just an encyclopedia full of plays but you like to keep it simple. It's about execution for you. So what does that look like for you in terms of the ways you're going to attack and, and how many plays you're going to carry to attack those things? Sure. Again, it's really twofold. It goes back to defense being recognition and reaction. To defeat that, there's really only two principles. You can be multiple or you can be fast. I'm not a big fan of multiple. It really limits your ability to execute, and it's a little more difficult to call a game, to be honest with you. To be fast, I don't want to be fast all the time. I do believe in time of possession. Uh, We do believe in taking care of the defensive side of the ball. But if you're going to be fast, in, in our opinion, you have to be fast first. So what we do in our system is we have a, a way to communicate three play calls that are adjustable with three one-word one calls that, that talk to the perimeter to the left, to the right, and the core in the middle. And again, they're all adjustable. But on every play, we can line up within five to seven seconds and either snap the ball fast, snap the ball in, in more of a normal tempo, or snap the ball really slow. But at the at on its face, the defense thinks we're going to snap the ball fast every time. So that's that's really the first thing is 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 we want to be fast first, and and through that, that's going to limit your sets and your calls. Okay. The second part of of the number of calls it came down to practice time. For us, we would have five minute periods, and what we found is we could run eight plays per five minute period. So we went backwards. Instead of going, okay, I'm going to carry this many play calls and then try and fit them into a game plan or a practice plan, we, we took the practice plan 
had the head coach tell me how many minutes that we were going to be able to execute offense, and we did the math. So, for instance, he would tell me, Jeff, on Tuesday you're going to get 30 minutes a team, okay? Well, I'm a left-hash, right-hash guy. If I run a play on the left-hash, i got to run that same play in that practice on the right-hash. So what we did is we found that we could get 24 plays in 15 minutes on the left-hash, get those same plays called on the right-hash in 15 minutes, and therefore we could, in a 30-minute team time, execute 24 plays on a Tuesday very well. And so that's what became the number of normal down and distance play calls on our call sheet. And so our entire system is based on this philosophy of, okay, these are the situations we need to be good in. These are the number of plays we get time to execute on our practice plan. And therefore, we need this amount of plays on our call sheet. And for us, that number came out to 48. We only need 48 calls. And for a decade of calling ball plays, um, we never didn't have enough. Um, again, I think it's our system. We have the ability to change our tags. Uh, so that 48 can look like more like 150 calls. But for each position player, they're only getting, you know, 48 calls. And, and really when you group them, they're, they're only getting 10 or 15 calls in a ball game all, all, all year long. Well, I, I agree with you on a couple things there. I want to back up for a minute. I definitely want to go into uh, the, the practice planning, and I think we're on the same page with both of these things. The time of, the, of possession, and I do believe exactly like you said, you have to go out and teach. Uh, if you're going to be a multiple tempo team, you need to teach fast as the first thing. You can't, you can't really um, teach it slow and expect them to speed up. You teach it fast, and then you as the coach can control it and slow them down. So that, that five to seven Absolutely. seconds is so important. And I think I did a study on it, was looking at that. And typically, you know, based on your officiating staff and how you do those things, you're going to get about nine to 11 seconds um, before that ball is ready to play. So you, you with five to seven seconds, if that's how you're operating, you, you have some uh, a little bit of room there as well. So looking at it, though, as you're going through a game, um, how do you go about figuring out what the defense needs from you, especially in terms of, all right, we got to p- possess the ball a little bit, or, you know, they're good, we could put the pedal down. How would you go about um, trying to figure out those things and making sure both uh, you and the defensive coordinator are on the same page? Right. Well, well first thing, and I just need to say this because you're, you're spot on, Coach, I never understood no huddle teams that don't go fast first. In my opinion, if you're a no huddle team and you're signaling and you're barely getting a shot clock, you know, the playoff into the shot clock, just huddle. Let's get in the huddle and talk about it. You know, I, there's no, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we have huddle in our system. But in terms of uh, the offense and the defense working together, first it's, it's definitely weekly, right? There would be some weeks we're facing a team that's really explosive on offense, and our defense is going to struggle. And, and in those moments, we would, hey, listen, we're going to try and put some points on the board, which means we're going to need to play a little faster to do that. Uh, and then there's other games where the defense is, you know, they're going to be much better than the opponent's offense and going to stone them. In those moments, we, we can win a 17-10 to 10 ball game. And, and so we have no problem at that point possessing the football and, and just making sure that we're not giving points away to the opponent, right? But more importantly, Coach, I think as a play caller, it's really important 
that you realize what's going on in the game and that if the defense just had an 8, 10, 12-play drive, you can't go out there and take 35 seconds off the clock with a three and out. You know, you've got to go out there and let those guys get a cup of water. Now, you've got to get a first down, <laughs> right? And that might mean one of those three play calls is a, an indie or a tempo call. Uh, but your thought process definitely has to be in this situation, man. Our defense has been out there a long time. we got to give these guys a break. So kind of extending that a little bit, another question here about tempo. And I've seen so many teams just blow it in the, the final minutes of a game um, because they, they're they not really good at, at slowing down. Um, and you mentioned that you, you, know, you have huddle within your system. I'm thinking back to one of the first times I experienced this too, um, being a no huddle team, but you know, your, your thoughts on approaching four minute and, and how you go about, you know, essentially icing the game there, right? Really trying to keep that ball and not let their offense get back out on the field. Again, it's something I think you've seen it time and time again, too. Teams just really, uh, don't plan that well or aren't good at it because maybe they don't practice it enough, but your thoughts on handling that situation. Sure. Well, again, we want to, if we're going to take the ball, right, if we're not going to call a huddle play, uh, the first thought, of course, is to go a, a freeze cadence, right? So we'll, we'll like, we tell, in, in our system, 9 of 11 players don't have a formation or alignment rule, okay? That's why we're able to line up so fast. Their only job when the ball is spotted by the ref is to get on the ball, okay? Big believer that play calls should influence your alignment. That's a topic for another day. But if we're in that four-minute situation and we're not calling huddle, we will attack the line of scrimmage. We will call a freeze play. We will hard count. We will put our eyes to the sideline. We'll freeze it again, put our eyes to the sideline, and with 10 seconds left, we'll call a play. We'll snap it on an indie cadence and, and run the play and eat, eat the shot clock. But something I really love is calling in our system the huddle. And for us, the only people that huddle are those that are attached. Again, let's just picture an 11 personnel grouping, right? And we're on the left hash. The, our slot and right X would be to the field. Our left X would be to the boundary. Those three players would get their play call from their signaler and get lined up for 28, 30 seconds. They'd be standing there, you know, ready to go. We would put anybody attached, and in this picture it would be the five linemen, the H, the Q, and the, and the tailback. And they would be in a sugar huddle about two yards off the ball in a position to break the huddle with five seconds left and snap it on an indicator. And what this allows you to do, Coach, is it allows you to eat the shot clock, but you can still break the huddle. The, the three techniques trying to find strength, the nickel spurs trying to find the H, um, and you're snapping the ball oftentimes in what feels like an indicator. Which again, for you know, a team that might not might not be able to block the opponent as well, or, or you're not as deep, which we were when we started at Charlotte, really helped. So it, it's a huddle that turns into a tempo in the last ten seconds of the shot clock. Yeah, I, it's something I, I love that. Uh, I first saw it, man, years ago. I know Gus kind of made it popular with what he's doing at Auburn. I, I want to say maybe yeah. Missouri might have been the first one. We saw doing it, calling it, you know, just their fire alarm stuff. But so practical in football today. I know, you know, when we first started going up tempo, 
Um, and we were, you know, like I said, kind of multiple in, in our um, personnel groups that we'd be able to run our guys out on the field. And at the time, the officials hadn't put in that rule where they were going to stand over the ball. So we could move really, really right. fast. But then right. when they started standing over the ball, it was no longer an advantage to uh, to change personnel. And, and one way we handled that was, as you said, the sugar huddle. We called it, you know, chaos was our name for it. Uh, and then one year, just based on who we were as a team and we had to really chew clock and keep our defense off the field, uh, that was our standard operating procedure. And they had they had three tempos just from within that when they were going to break the huddle and snap the ball. So it didn't have to be, you know, at the end of the shot clock every single right. time. But you're right. right. What it does is it puts – why do you go fast? Well, to take – take out their ability to make a lot of adjustments, make them be vanilla, and you can play from a huddle. If you're a high school coach out there listening to this and thinking about, you know, maybe you've never been uh, no huddle, well, there's ways to do it actually from the huddle, as Coach just talked about here, and still have that effect of playing really fast and not giving the defense time to recognize. Absolutely, Coach. You're spot on. So then, Coach, uh, you know, moving back to the idea of – practice and I love how you explained it there and and for years that's kind of the approach I took was kind of going reverse to figure out the math and for a long time it was it was not an automated process for me I eventually figured out how to do it on an excel spreadsheet so the beginning of the week we just put our our uh, plays into into uh, one sheet and it would auto populate our entire script and our call sheet but um, regardless of how you do it, that knowing that practice time really does dictate what you can carry in a game plan. I think, uh, again, doesn't matter what kind of, of system you run, uh, what you believe in offensively, but we're all still limited by that factor of practice time. There is a finite number of reps and a finite uh, you know, amount of time really to get those plays ready uh, so that they're executed well on game day. Uh, you know, talk to us a little bit then uh, about how you take those 48 then and what's your approach to handling the situational stuff. So you have your base, you know, 48 calls, 24 right, 24 left. Now you got to think about, and we're going to face this short yarded situation or, you know, we get into the red zone and, and space, it, you know, vertical space is diminishing or, you know, we're in the shadow of our own goalpost and, and, you know, approaching those kinds of things in practice as well. Sure. Well, first thing, I think it's very important to note that the system you run is also crucial to the number of plays. The, if you can go from a flex bone team that basically has four or five core plays all the way to air raid, which basically has a core group of plays, right? And, and the thing that makes them great is that they know how to adjust them into any defense. They know how to in-game adjust. And so I think it's important that your system has the ability to in-game adjust without confusing anybody. I think, I think you have to start there in order to carry a small call sheet. And that's the genius to any system is how you can communicate that and have a kid execute that. Now, back to the practice plan. Again, the 24 calls 
is is actually a situation. It's just we refer to it as normal down and distance. It's basically your first and second down calls. Mm-hmm. That's that's roughly seventy five percent of the of the of the calls. It's you know from the minus ten to the about the plus thirteen, and it's on first and second down. And so we felt like you know, over that decade of being a coordinator that we only needed 24 calls in that situation, again, based upon practice time, but because we could adjust our tags from a run blocking scheme to four verts on any protection or core run, it was, it was easy for us to in-game adjust those 24 calls. That's a big reason why we never felt like we were short. The situational stuff is also, also math-based. At the end of every year, we do end-of-season cut-ups. And what I found every year was that when we broke down, for instance, coming out, which for us is goal line to the minus 10, in in roughly a 1,000 offensive play calls, we would be down there 10 times. And one of the things that I learned was each week prior to the system, I would sit in a staff room and we would be two, three hours worried about coming out and the likelihood of us even being down there in this game was slim to none. And then we wouldn't practice it in such a way that allowed us to be successful when we got there. So we've defined basically three situations. And for us, a situation is when a defensive coordinator feels the need to change his front based on field zone. So for us, red zone, that 25 to the plus 13 going in is really not a situation. What I found is in that area, most defensive coordinators will just blitz a little more to get you out of field goal range. So in my normal down and distance calls, I might put a good blitz beater tag on the run to offset that opportunity of that. But the three situations that we found, and when we did the math on these three situations, we also found that we only need four play calls per game to get through them. The first situation's coming out. We have four calls. They're philosophy-driven. What's your call on the minus one? What's your third down call? And then what are your two calls to get to the five and then to get the first down? So we have a situational identity of coming out. There are only four calls. We can practice them on the left and right hash in one five-minute period, which we do every Tuesday, period five, for example. This, the second situation is what we refer to as the gold zone going in. The gold zone is from about the 13 to the, to the four. It's that area where you might get bracket defense from your D.C., right? They're going to change their defensive structure based upon the field zone, period. All right, so – in, in that situation, you, again, you're only down in that piece of grass, you know, maybe 50 times out of a thousand calls, and and so we're gonna we're gonna be very situational and and have a philosophy down there. Our run plays, we want to block safeties because they're too close to the box. Um, our our throw plays are gonna be bracket beaters. We're gonna have you know good third down calls where we're not taking sacks and getting knocked out of field goal range. Uh, we're gonna have a, a situational philosophy that again four on the left four on the right that can be practiced let's say wednesday period eight right in five minute period and then and then the goal line i think this is the most important area it's that plus three to the goal line we call it the brown zone and and what we found through study is again the math shows that you only need four calls 
Um, we've, we've fell into a certain package of plays that allow us to run zone, zone keep, uh, zone pop pass, and a full zone pass concept that look a lot alike that we can carry each week. And so for us, Coach, what's fun is, as a staff, we know how many calls we need to prepare for. We know what kind of calls out of what kind of sets we're looking to call. And so the process of game planning is very easy for us because we're confident in those moments that we're going to have the right call. And then the second part of it is the kid gets to practice those calls at the same time in practice, both left and right hash, his entire season. And so when you actually do get to those 10 play calls, your kids are really confident. Heck, they can call the third down call. They know what you're going to call on the minus one. They're going to execute it because they practiced it. And, and we're, we have a lot of situational success because of it. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. That whole idea of those guys knowing exactly what to do when they hit those periods, you know, because you practice them week after week at the same time. I mean, I'm, I'm – I'm sure you know it. You get to that period coming out, they don't even need you there to signal in the play. They know what it's going to be. I mean, our, our guys knew exactly what we wanted to run there. And on, on that play, they always knew we were going on too. We wanted to try to get the, the free five yards and, and uh, move it along. Absolutely. So they would go down and, and call that. Now, I, I think I got this right. I just want to clarify. Um, for the most part, as you're looking at those four plays, uh, there's there's going to be similarities for you throughout the season. It's not like you're coming up with four completely uh, new plays each week. It's it's going to be the consistency that you guys uh, your guys understand. These are the kind of things we're going to do. Correct, and and you know if we didn't use them in a certain week, if they had carryover, we would just copy paste them into next week. Mm-hmm. The example would be this. You know, on the one-inch line, I'm a big believer in the quarterback sneak. So we practice that under center every every week. And, of course, we did it in center quarterback exchange. Right. I think you've got to get you got to get off the one-inch line. If if your old lineman's feet are in the end zone, you got to sneak it out there to the two or three and, and, and get some, you know, find some grass for your punter. Uh, and then, the, so, so the coming out, I was a big believer in zone. I didn't want to pull people down there, too many run-through gaps. Yep. So if we were going to install a play coming out, it was definitely going to be zone, inside zone. I didn't want to go sideways. Um, the, you know, now it could be an insert. It could be a, a cut zone. It, it, it could be a lead zone. But we always wanted to have long edges down there. Yeah. So we were always in a 12 personnel set. Right. With, with Whether it was the diamond or a true ace set or – you know, where we had two H-backs on one side, one stayed home and one split. What We would change that up, but we always wanted to have the philosophy of long edges. And then if, if we were going to tag a, a, a RPO to the perimeter X, we weren't going to tag anything that came into the middle of the field because that's a chance for a tip ball. So we were only going to tag speed outs and hitches and things that would go to the perimeter. Yep. And so that's an example of the, the situational philosophy we talk about that, yeah, each week it might be a different 12 personnel set, a little different zone, um, a little different tag, but they were going to fit under that umbrella of how do we beat coming out and how are we ready to win that drill of, of first getting the ball to the five for the punter and second getting a, a first down. 
100% of the time coming out, our third down call was going to be some form of three-step. And, again, I didn't worry about a D.C. Uh, being able to, you know, set tendency that uh, because you only got down there 10 calls anyway, which means you one or two third downs the entire season, right? So the third down call is three-step. Why? In college ball, we could cut the edges, no holding calls. Holding call meant, you know, you're giving up two points. Right. Uh, three-step, no sacks. We're not giving up two points. We either, if it's third and nine, I'm still calling three-step. We're going to get the ball to five, and he's going to run for the first down in that moment. So, again, the situational identity in those three areas, including the, the identity of the 24 calls, um, not to mention the 12 third down calls that make up the last part of the, the 48, um, that, that's the key to winning that that period or that portion of the game that, again, you're only going to be in three games out of a 12-game season for one or two series. Yeah, I, I must have went and sat at, at the same clinics you learned your ball from because, as you described, it does, that was our exact approach uh, to that area. What I found, you know, when you're talking about making sure you're not having short edges, you know, balls, safe throws on the perimeter, um, you know, what we did is carried – that over and that was going to be our four minute offense as well so we kind of got in practice that that double duty for this is our coming out and these are why are we doing it because it's safe plays you know we we want to chew up the clock a little bit we want to be able to get that first down we're being a little bit conservative and we want to prevent those lost yardage plays that um, don't give us a shot on third down so we would carry that over Um, any any thoughts on you know looking at that situation, I know you said it was really wasn't one of the, uh, the three main ones, but, uh, an approach to your thought process, at least on play calls in, in running out the clock. Yeah, no doubt. I think you carry that. And, and also your third and short calls, you know, mm-hmm. for us, we would carry four, third and short, four, third and medium and four, third and long. Um, and I, you know, if I had a high percentage throw that I liked on third and long, I would I would call it on first and ten. You know, one of our four, you know, philosophy plays coming out was take a eight man protection yep. and throw a post or a you know post corner. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'd get first and ten on the thirty going in, and I'd call that dial that thing up in a second. You know, so I think, you know, if a kid's practicing it. You can call it anywhere if you feel like it. there's carryover from one situation to the next. Now, the black zone was so, like, you were down there so few times that we only called those ones. But you're right. When you get in four minutes um, or you run out of third and two calls because you, you're, you know, doing a good job eating the clock, um, there, there's nothing wrong in stealing a base from another situation um, if you feel like that's good for that moment and, and against that team. No doubt. Coach, the other part that you really make uh, critical to this offense being successful is that, you know, you make this an easy process, especially for your quarterbacks. I I know a lot of times with, man, there's some systems, I think, that can just overwhelm these guys. They seem simple, but you you look at all the different things that are put on them and it, it starts to compound and they have a lot to think about. And you know if they're out there, thinking a ton, they're not playing fast, and ultimately that's when mistakes happen. So how do you make it an easy process, especially for your quarterbacks? 
you know, there's six players that can't play slow mentally, and that's the five O lineman and the one quarterback. This entire system is O line friendly in terms of the verbiage and the front ID, so they don't have to push the box or re-identify the mic. The, the system is very quarterback-friendly in that the defensive ID is the same all the time. It's, it's something that, that we discuss, look at all year long. Uh, but even within how we teach, we're able to group certain plays as read plays and cert, certain plays as box plays. Um, our drop-back game, we carry 12 concepts. In those 12 concepts, we've grouped them into three quarterback reads. So his entire career, he can memorize four calls as flat player reads when we attack the perimeter, and then four calls as linebacker reads that, that we can call any of these four calls, and you're still putting a triangle around the same two people, and the read is the exact same. And then we have four free safety reads where we're going to push the ball down the field, you know, so we can attack the perimeter, the middle of the field. We can go deep and for the cue, whether it's in the run RPO game, he's got the same decision-making process throughout the entire run game. And in the throw game, he's got three reads that don't limit our ability uh, to attack defense. And so, I was fortunate. I coached the offensive line at Ohio. I was a tackles and tight ends coach. I went from the B-back to the tackles and tight ends. My first two years at Wake Forest, I also coached the tackles and tight ends until Troy Calhoun left and went to the pros. That's when I became the quarterback coach, right? Um, and so I've, I had a seven, eight-year background of, of understanding, you know, up front and how important it was for those guys not to have to think. I mean, they're banging their head against 300 pounders for 60 minutes. They, you know, they're they're going to have some some mental errors, and then and then the quarterback and how fast it happens to him that you can't go through a four or five person progression, you know, on every read with 15, 20 different concepts. You've got to narrow the scope for those kids, yet not limit the OC and his ability to adjust in game and, and win with the ink pen. Never believe in winning with the ink pen, but you got to have answers. And, and that's what we've been trying to mesh together and making it easy, specifically for the offensive line, but most importantly for the quarterback. Well, Coach, uh, I certainly would love to have you come back on and talk about some diff different offensive concepts. I think what's great is you've put all this together into a resource for coaches that you call the Big O System. It's at thebigosystem.com. Uh, I guess if you could just very quickly give us an overview of exactly uh, what a coach might be able to get from that resource or what things are there for him. Uh, quite frankly, uh, KG, not a lot. Um, you know, I just love talking ball. You, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a million dollars doing this. I coached college ball for, you know, 27 years from 1990 to 2017. And, um, I I uh, I miss it. I miss talking ball. The thing I miss most is being in a in a staff room and talking with coaches. Uh, we offer basically three books. We have the system, uh, which is you know just a start to finish playbook with everything you can think in it, and that comes with flash drive video, of course. We also have a book that that's just for the air raid guys. Our twelve throw concepts, 
um, you can just, you know, you know, order that as well. And, and that comes with, you know, running back adjustments and protections and how to redirect protections and how we go through our hot system. And then the, the three quarterback reads and the 12 routes and how to get those things in, in different looks. And then, and then we have that situations book. It's, it's situations, scripts, and schedules. And, and basically it's what we define, the, the, the coming out, the going in, the goal line, uh, what our philosophy is in those areas, description of, of plays that we run in those areas, and then a weekly coach's schedule that includes uh, scripts, practice plans, the, the 48 call uh, game plan, um, and, and, you know, even the, the post-game um, grading sheets, if you will. Th- those are in there. We, we also include what a, a high school uh, spring ball in the state of North Carolina uh, and a high school fall install would look like in the state. So we, we include the install sheets of, of, you know, let's put this in here and put this in there. Um, that's really it, Coach. We, we have three books. Um, we also um, we, we, we we're available to talk anytime on the phone with no hooks. Just love talking ball. You can find my cell phone and, and certainly my email address uh, on the website. And, uh, again, just, just miss the process of talking ball. I think what we did was uh, really good for kids. And uh, when we got out, uh, we decided, what the heck, man, let's, let's get an LLC and a Twitter account and see what happens. And, you know, two years later, I'm, I'm talking to you. So things, uh, things are fun right now. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I, I appreciate you taking the time. And as I said, we'd love to have you back to talk more ball. Um, stay safe. I know you have uh, a storm headed your way. Uh, with the hurricane, so you stay safe, and uh, we'll talk again soon. KG, thanks for the time. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Please check out all we're doing with our systems for tackling, blocking, and feeding blocks at footballdevelopment.com. There's a lot of drills that will come in handy for you right now, or if you are uh, set to prepare things for the spring, I think there's a lot you can do as you have some no non-contact periods. Also, think about your youth football community and the work you do to help them. We have great resources at fdm.usafootball.com, as well as the Football for All podcast, which is designed for your youth coaches, parents, and commissioners. Please check that out at fdm.usafootball.com.